0: Welcome to another podcast episode of Inside the World of Duotone. I am your host, Lewis Cratham, and we have a very special episode today. It's going to be themed on the major event of the kiteboarding calendar, the Red Bull King of the Air, which is just around the corner. I will be bringing in our guest very shortly. If you are a kiteboarder, though, and you haven't heard of King of the Air, where have you been the last 10, 15, 20 years? But if you're not a kiteboarder, Perhaps you'd like to know that Red Bull King of the Air is the world's premier big air kiteboarding contest featuring invited riders from around the globe. Riders are judged based on height of their jumps, variety of tricks and style. It's really focusing the big air on the big air discipline of kiteboarding. And this year in Cape Town, as ever, is the last 10 years of King of the Air. This will be the 10th year. It's a very special year. Year, and it's a very special event really for the sport of kiteboarding for all the brands and especially Duotone we've always supported our riders being at the event and this year if I've counted correctly we've actually got eight riders competing so it's big for everyone and of course Duotone but today I would like to bring in a very special guest which is none other than the head judge of the event which is Chris Bull welcome to the show Chris Bull hey buddy well hey buddy hey it's like we know each other already <laughs> i mean we do go back but we're we're yeah. not here to talk about that today are we we are yeah. here to talk a little bit about what your role is as head judge of this major event um perhaps perhaps you I better let you introduce yourself
1: okay yeah hi uh i'm chris i'm currently head judge of um Cota, king of the air um, this is my second Cape Town event as head judge. Uh, before that, I was the UK judge um, for COTA. Um, and recently, we run these fly-to events uh, for King of the Air to give other people from other places an opportunity to win a spot. Um, I've been um, head judge and judging those events, the fly-to events as well.
0: And um, you know, so let's go straight uh, straight to the point here. What, you, what is your role as the head judge of of this event? And perhaps how is it? How does it differ from being a red, regular judge? How would you describe your role?
1: Yeah, good question. Really. Um, well, what the head judge does is obviously um, I hold all the meetings for the events um, behind the scenes. I communicate with. Uh, The team and Red Bull, um, we do all the um, video entries, the events. Um, Normally we get quite a few, you know, 60 to 90 videos come in. Uh, It's my job to initially judge all those videos and kind of shortlist them down to 25, 30. And then those 30 videos get given to the complete judging team and then they judge them all and um, get us a, a start list for the event for the people that are trying to get in on the video entries so for me it's uh, a lot of work behind the scenes in terms of make liaising with the it guys because we use um, an app for the judging that's constantly being developed and refreshed and updated so we are I, I, yeah, I, I communicate with the IT team, make sure that the app is doing what it should be doing and anything extra that's going in. I mean, obviously, every year we have a lot of innovation in big air and a lot of new tricks. Um, and we kind of fine tune it all to make sure that it that it does the job um, and that it's simple, not too complicated. Um, and, it, and it's up to date. And then I'm responsible for the training of the judges. So uh, behind the scenes throughout the year. Uh, we do a lot of we do a lot of training where we we set up peats. Um, we send them out to the judges and they all enter and use the system that we use in the event um, online and uh, it's a great opportunity to to keep the judges um, kind of focused and, and on the ball and obviously an opportunity for the kind of technology to keep up with everything so behind the scenes there is a lot of preparation for the event um, also most of the judges uh, that that come to Cape Town are also judging the fly-to events that we hold um, throughout the year. Uh, And also most of the judges are on the the world tours as well, judging various things. So all all of the judging team are pretty much professional judges. That's what they do for a living. Um, And my job is just to make sure that that the the team is fully tuned and ready to deliver the high-quality judging for arguably the most important you know big air event that 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 in kiteboarding so um that's what goes on behind the scenes and then you know on the day um obviously i hold all the meetings when we're in cape town um i also communicate with the riders so when when riders want to discuss their heats or have any questions generally it comes to me uh, before an event I'm often meeting riders for cups of coffee and stuff, uh, have private meetings just to make sure, you know, if people have questions and things that they want to raise. So I communicate with the, the riding fleet as well, as well as Rebel Management, et cetera. And then on the on the day of the event, um, I sit next to the IT guy. Actually, I Face about all over the place, to be fair, but uh, got yeah, I, I, can,
0: I can second that. I've seen that myself.
1: <laughs> um, you got the judges. So we have five judges. Uh, we have three trick callers. Every rider or every colored lycra has its own unique trick caller. The job of the trick caller is to literally just populate the tricks that are done by the riders into the system so that the judges don't have to, to write down or, or punch mm. in. Trick descriptions—they literally, all the judges have to do is each trick, they'll put a uh, put a score of a maximum of ten to that trick, um, and the uh, trick callers are just there, and they'll and they'll log every single trick because obviously in Cota it is quite unique. Round one, we have three men heats um, with the flag out system, and despite asking the riders not to all hit the same kicker at the same time.
0: It's not our fault. Um, It's not our fault when (laughs) when those kickers present themselves. You know, that's for sure.
1: For sure. sure. But um, obviously the judge, a judge will only score what they see um, and also what they see in entirety. So it's important that the judge sees the the start and the finish of the move in order to apply uh, an accurate score to it. Uh, When you have three guys take off, you know, uh, The judges may only score one or two of the tricks if that's all they've seen um but it's really important that the the third person or the second person still has their tricks logged in the system because obviously uh we we you know we we take the three top scores at the end of a heat um, but we also have that unique um overall impression variety score uh, and it's very, very important the judges are able to look down on their ipads at the end of the heat and
0: and it all adds have up. The, ha,
1: have the detail they need so that they can see and look back and see every single trick with a description that the rider's done. And that just, uh, if they haven't seen that trick, it, it but that trick was logged, even though they haven't applied a, a score to it it, it, it can kind of help them with, um, you know, the uh, kind of that overall impression thing. You so, know?
0: You've, so you've been there. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt here whilst we're on this subject. And thank you, by the way, for that very um, descriptive um a picture of what it is you do not only um away from the day because it's easy to sit here and think you just turn up and judge but actually a majority of your work that you're doing with the event team the judging team is actually taking place throughout the year and that's really interesting to, to learn perhaps we'll get back to that a bit later but just in terms of on the day and thinking about you in the booth as you were um, just describing to me there now, as you look out on this massive scaffold tower where it's very quiet, you're the only ones allowed up there, the judging team, and you're pacing around. I think it's very interesting that you have sat there as a judge yourself. And I know personally that it's not just kiteboarding that you have judged as well. It's something you've been passionate about for a long time. I, I want to ask you straight up, what what skills uh, are required in order to be a good judge
1: but you have to have a full understanding of the sport, don't you? I mean, you know, I, this is this is my 22nd or 23rd visit or season in Cape Town. Um,
0: wow, wow, that's from, pretty good. Yeah,
1: you know, 1999, uh, back in the day when Aaron was a wee nipper and uh, there were like three or four of us kite surfing out there. It really wasn't anyone else. Um and over the years, you know, you you've been there with me. Over the years, I've I've spent so much time, you know, when I was testing for the magazine and basically just living the Cape Town dream on the seafront there. You you have to have a good understanding of big air kiteboarding um and kiteboarding itself and competitions. I think to be able to score well, uh, you've got to be completely subjective as a judge. You can't there can't be any conflict of interests, you've got to be super super neutral you know um you you can't have really any affiliations to brands and and riders ideally i mean we're all buddies and we all know each other and it's a very close-knit community Um, it's,
0: it's definitely one thing that i um really appreciate that you must have in being a judge what you're talking about here about um, no bias and remaining neutral. Now, I've actually myself found that difficult. I think I was asked to help judge a competition once a very long time ago. And I would I, love
1: to have you, I, buddy. We I couldn't could do it. And I, and I
0: would politely decline your uh, request, Billy. <laughs> you'd almost have to blindfold me, but then there'd be no point in it. I'd have to listen to the landings. But I find with the friends got... It would just I've be as a
1: whole way for you, wouldn't it? It would just be as a...
0: <laughs> well, you know, it, it, maybe, you oh. know, of course, Aaron, but, you know, I'm a Brit. I'm a Brit. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's not many other Brits that I can support these days. So it's, as no. always, it's rely on Aaron. But just going back to that, it, I've always found the it hardest. In fact, the reason why I've chosen to commentate and, and and slightly share my opinions, of course I have to remain neutral doing that, but it's definitely a skill that I see you all have as judges to, I mean, all of us have our preference on what we think is a more stylish move. What makes a a bigger move than another, but to actually be able to remove that um, to be a judge is, is an important skill that you you agree with. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it is difficult, but that's why we have five judges. We have five judges. They're from all around the world. Um, And yeah, that, that allows, for a very very fair result at the end, because you know you do have five people independently putting those scores down. Um, there is some communication that goes on um, in the booth. Obviously, I mean that, that's quite normal. I I judge a lot of weightboarding competitions, and the same thing. You know, the the first uh, the first round or the first the first heat, the the head judge kind of like uh, sets the scale mm-hmm. um, for what tell, we're seeing.
0: Tell that, me how he does that you say sets the scale. How, how does the head judge set the scale?
1: Okay. Well in, in wakeboarding, it, it happens more, but in wakeboarding, it would be like, okay, first rider goes out. You've got five more riders going out. Um, it's, it's, it's horrible to be the first guy out because generally you're going to get a 45 or a 50 out of a hundred because, you know, we haven't seen safe. the other four. Well, you have to, it kind of like, you can have heats where, you know, it's a 45 star because you don't know what you're going to see. Are people going to be much better, much worse? Um, in, in relation to kiteboarding, um, I always like to apply the same kind of thing. Whereas, uh, we, we kind of warm up. So like, you know, round one, heat one, um, I, it, it's really important that we all make sure we're kind of uh, aligned. Obviously we don't all, you know, judges have to have their own, put their own thoughts down and scores, but, uh, we just need to make sure that that scale is kind of is, is right and the scale changes also depend on the conditions as well. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, uh, we have to judge for, for for the conditions we have, which is actually what makes, I, I think, Cape Town in particular a very, very technical and tough competition because, as you know yourself, we start the competition after lunch because the Southeast is never really fully where we want it to be. At lunchtime, it always takes a little break at lunch generally, doesn't it? So we normally kick off about half past one and we know we've got kind of like, you know, three, four hours of good wind before six o'clock comes. And uh, it, it goes a little bit more offshore and definitely gets a bit more gusty and, you know, more lulls, more gusts. So um, as a competition, yeah, the scale can change throughout the rounds as well. Um, you know, it is tough because I think the the riders have to start in not always ideal conditions. Yeah. Uh, you know, we can start, and the wind can be going from sometimes 18 to 20 to 27, 28 knots for those first round. And in that first round, you can have uh, one one heat, like where the wind came in, the kickers were there, and you have a really, really good conditions for a heat. And then suddenly, bam! You know, five minutes later, we're we're circling around 18 to 25 knots, and it's just chop, and there's no swell coming through makes it super, super challenging for uh, competitors. I actually think that, you know, it really isn't just about nowadays the tricks that you have in your bag and how you can perform on the day. You know, there is also a a high degree of luck in somewhere like Cape Town where, you know, whether you do get the kickers come in, in your heat when you're in the right position for them uh, and also the gusts as well make, 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 makes some massive difference. And then obviously uh, as we go through round one, two, three, generally the wind gets better and better. Um, and then uh, yeah. normally, you know, semi-finals, quarter-finals, semi-finals, we're kind of where we're at with the conditions where we've got, you know, 30 knots, which is what we want. Um, and then sometimes, you know, as you know yourself, the final, we hit half past six, the sun's going down, the wind starts to be, you know the, the the semi-final can be absolutely insane conditions and then suddenly for the final you know it drops down and does that thing so cape town is super super challenging um for everyone because obviously it, it's more difficult for the riders and also uh for the judging team as well because that there is a symbiotic relationship
0: there with things change yeah you you spoke about um that you judged wakeboarding before where typically they you know i imagine the water conditions would stay pretty constant the boat is pulling at that constant speed but with kiteboarding and and certainly with what we're talking about here chris about the conditions in a place like cape town and for those of you that are listening that perhaps kiteboard and haven't been out to Cape Town before, or maybe those listening that don't even kiteboard. We're talking about the Cape Doctor, the famous Southeaster wind, which is very strong in summer and it blows from 30 to 45 knots and beyond. And and it can change throughout the day. As Chris said, it comes in after lunch, it can drop down a bit. And this can provide real challenges for the, the judging team, but also to the riders that, If I'm right, Chris, I think have to show one of the biggest skills in order to be successful in being able to adapt to those conditions. Like you touched on earlier, it's not about being able to do every single trick in the book. We've seen that many, many times in this competition where technically some of the best riders go out early. It's about adapting and almost not complaining about those heats where it's 25 knots and it's not ideal. But that, I think, is what competition is about, is the riders that can really deliver in all conditions.
1: I mean, dude, wow, uh, big air kiteboarding right now. I mean, it's so, so good. Um, because yeah, uh, from it, the from yeah. point of view there there is so much variety now. I mean, we're in a, 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 a time where, you know, where the, the, the tricks are just, yeah, we, we, you know, you go back, you know, you know, go back a few years. I, I gotta be honest with you. It was a boogie loop fest, you know? And, uh, there wasn't so much variety with the kite loops as we see now, um, now with the, with the kite loop variations, the contra loop variations, and then the innovative kite loops, the, you know, the S loop, the snake loop, whatever you want to call it, the doubles, you know, um, it, wow. It, it just means that there's so much, there, there. there's so much for the athletes to consider. It
0: is a, it is a very, heat. it is a very exciting time, um, to be, um, being on the outside, I guess, for this event for myself. Um, and like you're just just starting to get into it, actually. And the question I wanted to ask you before we talked a little bit about the different styles and the different moves, because it's clear to the world of kiteboarding, this is going to be one of the most diverse um, king of the airs with variety like we haven't seen before. But let's get straight to the point. My question for you, Chris, is will this year be all about the double kite loop? The double double, the double double, the double oh, that's
1: yeah. double, double double. <laughs> Don't confuse me. Like <laughs> well, double kite with a double rotation. You know, okay. like you know, double doubles, Sorry. double quads, whatever. There are more and more innovative tricks coming along. I mean, that that is a question that everyone's been asking me. Um, we, you know, uh, wow, Denmark! What a competition that was uh kind of Denmark kind of always kind of delivers those dreamiest conditions that we need really for an event like this
0: this is the recent cold Hawaii event that you're talking yeah, about in Denmark yeah. right? the Red Red Bull cold Hawaii yeah
1: yeah it's a fly to event um you know it, it it well the year before it was sideshore insane I mean so windy like 40 to 60 knots I mean it reminded me of old old school kiteboarding, where you know the the guys are putting sevens up and they've literally got three mates sitting on them <laughs> until the start of their heat, just so that they get dragged off. You know, it was like serious um, and really amazing. And then this year, um, once again, strong, good wind, but bang on shore, which made it really, really uh, challenging uh, for the competitors, because as you know, you know, bang on shore conditions. Uh, You can't really utilize the kickers how you want, like you can in Cape Town or Sideshore or or Cross Off. Um, It's much harder to kind of get it right. Um, But yeah, so the doubles question is, um, I mean, it's great seeing the double loops. I really like, I like the fact that, you know, in Denmark, we we made the uh, heat slightly longer because the riders were doing pit stops. And I kind of think that's cool too. The, mm, the, the rider has the, the opportunity to go out there and deliver the their, their, their moves that they would normally do on their eights or whatever, you know, their standard thing. Um, and then actually if they've landed all the tricks they want um, and they're in a cool place to then consider going in, changing down and trying some doubles. So, I mean, I love that. I think it adds to it. it you know, as I say, big areas just, on the rise right now, you know, and and uh, and and really, good, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening, and there's it's super exciting. I mean, I've been in the game a long time, mate, and I can tell you that I was just absolutely buzzing my watsits off. Um, yeah, judging the, the let, the, the let the
0: me, um, I just want to pull you up on pit stops quickly here, Chris. Freddy kiteboarders, all of those that don't kiteboard, actually. Touchy- Talk about what we're um, explaining here. So pit stops for a kite surfer is actually going into the beach, having a caddy on the beach with a kite in the air already, swapping over a kite for a different size kite, maybe even a different board occasionally, but usually a kite size change, which will allow a rider to perform a different style of manoeuvre. And, and I think it adds drama. It's exciting. It's a very difficult thing to do to pass a kite over quickly. So we're adding all of that into the show. And you, you could almost compare this to perhaps F1, where one of the drivers near the end decides to, pop into the pit stops, he's got nothing left to lose, he needs to change his tyres and maybe go for the fastest lap, which will give him an extra uh, point for the race. It's giving this extra part of it um, to the show, and we're starting to see that uh, become more and more common now.
1: Yeah, I I think it's cool. I think at the end of the day, uh, I've always believed myself as a judge and as head judge that you know we need to fully support the athletes and allow them... You know, at the end of the day, this show is all about them and we need to make sure that we uh, facilitate them and enable them to go out and give us the best performance and display of big air kiteboarding. And if we're at the stage now where riders are wanting to throw doubles and do innovative kite moves, then we need to kind of uh, allow the system to, to cater for that. So, you know, yeah, so, you know, fully it's happening because of the, the riders being so innovative. Um and, and we did give them some longer heats in Denmark so they could do that. That's not actually happening in Kota. <laughs> mm. oh, <laughs> what I mean by good. that is that yeah, no we're not and, and lengthening the heats. The heats are quite long anyway. But um
0: in a way it's evolved you know. though. You know, we used to have many more riders um in the competition. It's down to eighteen now. So you know there has been an evolution in a, in a way that we can um, perhaps make the day last a bit longer and you, you know it, it, it has evolved i think to to allowing the riders to showcase their best moves and like you're saying it, it's it's great to hear you talk like this chris as the head judge that it's about the riders being able to express themselves and actually express Absolutely. what they think are the best moves in the sport right now
1: so i mean the the question so for sure we're all about that it's you know we're, we're really excited about big air and the way that um, it, it, it's progressing and, you know, and, and, you know, I, I like the fact that, uh, you know, Kota really does have a massive influence on the sport itself in terms of the product development and, uh, and stuff like that, you know, uh, it, you know, it, it, it's really cool to be involved. And and for sure, the, these riders are really pushing it. But going back to your original question about the double thing. Yeah, the biggest question I get right now from people, and the biggest concern I get from the athletes, is: Can my boogie do beat a double loop like that, row? Is That's
0: that a question kind of for odd. me? Was it a question for me? <laughs> no, no, because, no, no. Because, because as a participant of the what did you call it, of a boogie fest or whatever you called it earlier, <laughs> I, I, I'd like to say I'd like to say yes, but but I'll let you answer the question. <laughs> Damn, dude.
1: Um, so yeah, absolutely, absolutely one hundred percent. You know, um, any any trick that uh, that an athlete or rider throws down during a heat is always subject to the the same criteria, and that's that is you know everything has got to be as high as possible, everything has got to be as extreme as possible, and with that height and extremity, we want the the most amount of technicality that is possible. And then well executed. So whatever you do, whether it's a boogie loop, whether it's a snake loop, whether it's a board off, whether it's a dangle pass, whatever, it always goes back to those, you know, three or four main criteria, which is it's got to be it's got to be high and it's got to be special high. And it's also got to be extreme. And if you can add technicality to that extremity and height and deliver it in a a beautiful way, then you're going to score well. So a good example is let's say we have a Lewis, one of yours, mate. I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, for sure, your your boogies. I mean, it's insane, like insane. It's absolutely perfect. I love you the know. boogies. Super,
0: Thank you, Ruby. for the super, boogie.
1: <laughs> super high, super extreme. What makes a a a, a loop extreme or a move extreme? sheeting the
0: bar in. <laughs> let's start with that. It
1: is. is um, is the amount of power that's taken through the move and 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 the power that is gener the kite generates through that kite loop uh, and this is where it's kind of important to kind of when you this and this is why a boogie can often score as well or if not better if it's done properly than a double loop is that uh if you get the kite down super low and you generate an awesome amount of power through that loop um and like if it on, on, the, on a boogie, it's an inverted forward. And, and, and that inversion and rotation happens super early on or through the most critical section or the most powerful section of the kite movement through the window. Then, I mean, it's a beautiful thing, as you know yourself. But you know, when you see that rider with the kite low, fully hucking it under the horizon and the riders inverted stargazing, you know, through the loop. As it goes around it's beautiful
0: staring Um, into the future almost it's a a wonderful feeling and and we 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 all know roughly how that feels as kite boarders from any level really what it might be like to kite loop the kite by accident at the beginning of your journey or perhaps you're really into them at a high level and you're jumping up to 20 25 meters up in the sky and what, what me and Chris are talking about here is kite looping the kite 360 degrees around through the power that the power zone we call it as kite borders and i think the best way to describe a kite loop or a mega loop um bully is that one has to imagine himself being shot out of a cannon upwards and then at the apex or just prior to the apex of the jump is then shot out of a second cannon um horizontally (laughs) that is the best way i uh, i've liked to describe for
1: for someone that doesn't kite absolutely absolutely and obviously you know it's it's to to deliver a a kite loop with good height and extremity uh, regardless of the technicality requires a uh, a high level of riding because if you don't generate speed and grip and power as you take off then you know it 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 can it, it, it can lead to
0: what we want. it can lead to some big injuries that um I'm sure we both the talk of many crashes from kite loops and mega loops but yeah, this, yeah, this yeah. will be this is um this is good to know i think from the athlete's perspective all of the people yeah
1: so this is how so, it's working so, so a boogie loop delivered any any kite loop with a good element of technicality in it delivered at the right height with extremity and landed super well you know can score a 10. Um what we're seeing right now with the um uh with the double loops is I've got to be honest with you uh, the problem is that when you downsize, so when you go for, I mean, I don't ride lower than an eight for a lot of reasons. Um, I think once you step down b- below an eight, uh, on, on most kites, um, yeah, it's a kind of a, it's a different thing. Um, obviously the kites of, uh, uh, the, the smaller, the kite, the faster it travels, uh, and quite often the kites are turning in quite quickly and pivotally. Uh, and not generating that kind of long journey that a slightly larger kite like an eight or a nine or a a 10 will deliver. So, you know, uh, a um, well-delivered boogie loop um, done properly versus let's say a double kite loop where both kite loops are looping quite high above the horizon. So a high kite angle, um, or quite a lot of the double loops that we see um, they kind of like uh, they kind of like if I'm going left foot forward out towards the kicker and then you, you take off and you kind of like oversend the the first loop kind of out a little bit mm-hmm. kind of to the side of the window uh, which means that, yeah, you do get this kind of double loop, but for sure it, it's not generating the same G force and power extremity of a, a single loop on an eight meter kite, for example. So um, although the double kite loops are super technical, um, in order for a double kite loop, in, in my mind and and I, and the, the team's mind, it it needs to, you know, we're looking for the kite to remain in the most powerful, critical section of the wind window. That's where we want to see it. We want to see the rider literally squeezing as much juice out of the wind window as he can. Um, and I think at the moment with the doubles, they are super cool. And we occasionally see some really dirty ones. Um, But quite often, they're kind of high and a little bit pivotal. Um, But for sure, it's new. We're a year into these things. Uh, You know, as well as I do, that probably even this year or next year, with the right wind, the right uh, sideshore kickers, then I'm sure we're going to start seeing some pretty insane doubles on on the eights
0: and stuff, you know. And on the sevens but, uh, and in, in, the, yeah, in th- that in that wind that, you know, it's interesting. To, um, sorry to interrupt you here, Chris, as we're actually not far from the ending, actually, <laughs> okay. our podcast here. But that, <laughs> let's just wrap that buddy, up quickly, sorry. though. No, no, <laughs> that was a very good point. We need to wrap up that um, what we were talking about there is actually it does matter. It won't be a double kite loop or nothing event and a bit of balance sure will help but we're talking about small kites and how quickly they turn you know it was the known thing to have a seven and i even had sixes in the day that were slow turners and we we utilize those kites to get into the 50 uh the 50 knot sort of ranges and, and i think that's something i'm very excited to see which i haven't personally been up close and you know and seen that yet i've seen competitions live where wind's been 35 40 but i can't wait to be out there at places like Misty Cliffs where it's really going off and seeing oh, yeah, these doubles for sure. thrown, thrown down on, yeah. on if those you, guys. If you've
1: got 40 knots on a seven, then doubles look insane, mate. And then if you're doing doubles properly in that kind of wind with technicality, and we know some of the, the young lads around that are doing that in the right conditions, you know, wow. I mean, the future is, is so exciting, mate. They're, They're fearless, so aren't they?
0: they? They really are fearless, this... this New breed of kite. Yeah, kite and I, I would, you know,
1: we're at this juxtaposition right now, buddy, where we still have the legends and we've got the young guns. It's a beautiful time. It's going to be, a, if we get the conditions that we want, I mean, this could be just such an awesome uh, king of the air because we have such a, you know, we've got so much quality, mate. Quality in terms of, you know, the guys that have been around the ring, been around the comp, you know, they know how to deliver. And know yeah, how to compete, out. yeah, and yeah we do versus, one. versus these young guys who they're absolutely fearless and innovative, um, yeah, and, and in, insanely good as well. Um, it's so, gonna be exciting, so, so,
0: it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be one that you can't miss, really. And I think we're due a very strong one, you know, it's been a while since we've had a really strong one. For me, my mind is that 2016 was that year where it really did come through strong strong maybe yeah. 40 knots or above so we're we're due. we're almost out of time already on this podcast chris now
1: so just uh, just just let me wrap up about the but uh, well i feel what what makes kota unique and and the judging and, and the criteria is that what what kota is is it's kind of the ultimate big air competition stroke display um it isn't just down to three top scores you have three top scores and then this overall impression Uh, some people kind of struggle to understand, but the overall impression, what what generally happens at the end of a heat is a judge will go, right, well, uh, look, I can see the three top scores. I look at the variety of those three top scores. Then I look at the rest of the good scores in his heat and the variety of those. And then I kind of think, well, did he crash a lot? How innovative was he? So that's kind of what that overall impression score is. And I can tell you that 95% of the time, each of the judges... Does their impression score, they are normally all aligned. And as the head judge, it's my job to look at that and make sure that, yeah, actually it's it's not, you know, if it is three, two, then we'll 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 stop and have a conversation and, and make sure that we're putting the right person through. But what I love about COTA more than anything is that we we don't have trick families. We leave it down to the rider to put on. Essentially, to sing his best song or do his best dance, you know, we don't say you've got to do a handle pass. We don't say you've got to do a scent jump. We don't say you've got to do a contra, a border for whatever, uh, a kite, you know, kite. It, it really is down to the competitor to choose what he can do the best uh, and, and be as as varied as possible um and take the best tricks he's got in his bag and deliver them and i really really like that because that's why you know you'll see uh so many different styles i mean uh last year we had a great uh, couple of guys in the heat and one was super extreme joshua um we allow, allow the riders to put on their own performance display we, we don't get them to tick boxes it's literally the ultimate expression of expression big air kiteboarding and uh You know, last year I was just talking about some heats, like we had uh, Yannick versus Joshua, and you had Yannick, who was obviously just, you know, beautiful contra loops, very technical, cat-like, agile, clean, versus Joshua, who's just like an absolute meathead and and full extreme, dirty, meaty kite loops, you know, uh, that's what I like about Kota is that uh, actually Joshua won that heat last year so that, that, that gives you an idea about you know what and Cota's that caused about,
0: a lot but... of controversy let's, um, yeah, let's bring it did, that up yeah. it, did, it did why I had
1: a few meetings yeah who with counsellor with the riders um, I mean why was that controversial well I think everyone was expecting maybe Yannick because he had just previously in the heat before got the the top the biggest high score yeah and, I saw yeah, that heat from it, the water blah, blah, blah yeah Um, and he was riding super well but once again this is king of the air this is you know we want this is the you know an extreme kiteboarding event everything goes back to it's got to be high and it's got to be extreme and height and in combination with extremity will be technicality without extremity
0: a contra loops extreme
1: it's extreme if the kite angle is extreme. It is not extreme, mate, when the kite remains quite high ab- above the rider through most of the move. I mean, I've got to be honest with you, mate. I've been doing contra loops for a while, like a long time. You know that a contra loop done with the with the kite quite high is is,
0: is it, definitely a down not down loop. Transition.
1: It's not. It's not really. It, it's quite progressive and smooth. I mean, it's a nice move, but you know we want the loops to really dip under or go to the heart we want the loops to be as, well, as to low as, as possible yeah, yeah exactly which is the so
0: definition of extremity
1: that, really. that heat was super close and it was you know what, what 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 sandwich do you prefer you know with or without you know spicy sauce and um joshua won that one and i thought that was great and that was universal you know it was uh all the judges thought that um so uh that for me that's what what kota delivers it really allows so many styles so many types of riders um you know you don't have to be a handle passer to win kota you know but you can win kota with handle passes you you know there's uh i mean look we even uh have strapless riders in the event as well that's pretty
0: amazing Uh, We
1: don't I, I know, I know. Once again, some of the fleet are like, "Oh, it's a bit weird." But you know what? Kota is about that. Kota is about allowing whoever gets in to put on their show of what they consider, you know, the, what you know to to do what they consider the, their big air kind of performance. Uh, it's all about the show factor, going big, uh, and there's just so much variety. That's what makes it so exciting. You know, when, when you look at the world tour, it, it, it's a little bit different. Um, Kota's, uh, you know, uh, kind of like the ultimate big air celebration and really allows the athletes to, to play their own song. And, um, yeah, we, we're not forcing them to, to, to do things they don't want to do, which is why we don't have trick families. And that's why we don't, you know, um, make people do everything. And I think that's really, really cool. So whether you use a handle or not, whether you use straps or not, whether you use a sea kite or not, whether you use an eight or a six you know you've got to go out there and and as long as you're you know ticking that high extremity technicality and execution boxes and you do it well you, you know yeah you, you've you a, got a chance, chance of being successful yeah well, I, like,
0: I like that i think that's a nice way to to wrap that up because we could talk about the competition technicality of judging for probably days you and me really <laughs> yeah yeah um, for but sure. just to wrap up our lovely podcast here which is very king of the air themed i want to know a little bit more about you chris ball that lives only 45 minutes away from me here in hailing island on the south coast when you're not um on the scene at cota what makes chris ball who he is
1: wow i mean you know like all of us i'm addicted to the ocean and i try and get in the ocean as often as i can kiting winging surfing whatever Um, I think for me, uh, I mean, I've had countless with you buddy, but I don't think there is literally anything better than getting out on the water, um, with your mates and buddies and other people you don't know. That's what's great about kiting and just having you know, an amazing fun time. I, I sometimes question myself, am I am I really thick? Or because I still get really, really, really excited about kite surfing. And I, I started in 1996, 1997 on you know, back in the early days when you did more swimming. And uh and and here I am, you know, twenty five years in nearly to the sport and I still get really 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 excited about going kiting and the kite surfing industry and and everything about it so yeah that that's really what makes me tick like most of us is is yeah getting out as often as i can and, and 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 what i like about kiting is just that diversity mate you know no session is really ever the same particularly oh, yeah. on the south coast of the UK, maybe if you live in other places where it's just like a trade win in flat spot or whatever. Like
0: Worthing. <laughs> I <laughs> couldn't resist. Me and Chris have an ongoing yeah, ongoing joke about which place is better to kite, obviously my local yeah, beach yeah. of you, Worthing. You or... get
1: more wind. You win on the oh, wind. We okay. win on the conditions. I mean, you know, it's just, you know, you can't have it all, maybe. <laughs> 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 So, yeah, that, that's it. And for me, like sharing those experiences with your mates, with your family uh, and everyone, I'm so excited to, I mean, and like you, I mean, I, I love the fact that Cape Town's the second home. You know, I will go out on the water there, and on my first session, I know I am going to see a million faces that are buzzing there whilst it's off, just like I am, pleased to see each other. You can be, I I I like that. You can be out on the water, and you, and you see all these faces and people that you know, and you're all sharing there. The vibes, and uh, I mean, my brain is just so addicted to that—that that feeling of flying through the air with power and stuff. I mean, it's just insane, and um, I, I, I haven't got bored of it yet. You know, which it's um, lovely.
0: It's lovely to hear. and yeah. it is, is for anyone listening. If you're not kiteboarding, this feeling we're talking about now—we've been talking about the biggest event in kiteboarding—and somehow we've gone all the way around. To that feeling that even somebody that's just done their first twenty minutes of their first lesson gets, which is the 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 excitement of of doing a sport where you are so connected with nature, the wind, the clouds, the ocean, it is a feeling that is almost undescribable, and it's I think very inspiring to hear Chris that you still now, kite
1: surfing makes my it. brain light up, buddy. That's it. I I I just feel that when you go out on the water and you kite and you know, particularly when you get to a level where you can go high and, and take a lot of power into your kiting, it it, it it fires up your brain. I don't think there's anything else really that delivers that kind of like, wow, It, it yeah, it's, hard, it's so good it's hard, for you.
0: It's hard to find. And I, <laughs> yeah. I'm, going, I'm going to bring it to a close now, Chris, okay. on that lovely moment where we've talked about... Um, what is also your major passion of course you're into the judging the behind the scenes you've competed of course yourself and you've been kiteboarding a long time but chris i want to say thank you very much chris ball head judge of red Bull king of the air thank you so much for joining us today
1: that's a pleasure buddy